Well, this morning I want to put a truth up on the screen and I want to ask you if you agree with this truth. God is sovereign. And I think most of us this morning would say, yes, uh, a sovereign is a king who rules over a kingdom, and that certainly applies to God. And then if I were to put up uh, another part and say, God is sovereign over all things, do we agree with that? And I think we would say, yes, we do. Uh, more than once in the book of Daniel, it says God rules the kingdoms of mankind. And the only way he can do that is if he is sovereign over all things. And then let me put up another statement. God is sovereign over all things, including our salvation. Do we agree with that this morning? Now that statement might actually cause us to pause. We might be a little uncertain about that. We might say, well, I, I think that I'm the one who decided my salvation. Yes, God offered it to me, but it was my decision that brought it about. So my salvation is really under my control, not God's. And so we might be tempted to say, God is not sovereign over my salvation. Others of us this morning, as we see this, may say, you know, I've never thought about that. That's never really uh, entered my thinking. Is God sovereign over my salvation? What does the Bible have to say about this? Well, in our study of Romans chapter 8, in our study of the book of Romans, we have come to two verses that really challenge our thinking. Uh, how many think the book of Romans is a challenging book? Yeah, if you're not challenged by the book of Romans, you're not really studying it. It's as challenging as any other book in the Bible. And this morning, I want to just say something as we prepare to look at what uh, the book of Romans challenges us with is that there's no question at all that the sovereignty of God is a mystery. We cannot fully fathom it. Now by that, I do not mean we cannot understand what the Bible teaches, because we can read it, there it is, and we can believe it. But we have many, many questions about how the sovereignty of God relates to other truths, and it is relating those truths that we begin to realize this is a mystery we cannot fully understand. Uh, the late Bible teacher, John Stott, who was from London and was an international Bible teacher, said this, It is abundantly clear that Scripture's emphasis on God's sovereignty never diminishes our responsibility. So he said the sovereignty of God and human responsibility, both of those, lie side by side. We do not invent it. And we cannot fully explain how those two truths relate to one another. By the way, are there other mysteries in Scripture? Of course there are. The Trinity is a mystery, isn't it? That God is one in essence, but three in person. We know the Bible teaches that, but how that can be goes beyond our ability to fully explain. Is not the Incarnation a mystery? Of course it is. 
that Jesus is one person with two natures. That's the opposite of the Trinity. The Trinity is three persons, one nature. Jesus is one person, two natures. How can that be where those two natures are never mixed, never divided, but meet perfectly together in one person so that the human nature does not change the divine, nor that his divine change the human? That's a mystery. And yet the Bible clearly teaches the incarnation of Christ. And so the same is true with the sovereignty of God. It is a mystery that goes beyond our ability fully to explain. Now this morning, as we come to the book of Romans again, chapter 8, verses 29 and 30, we are coming to this wonderful truth that many Bible students have called the golden chain of redemption. And we're going to see that God's eternal plan involves five actions that He has taken. He foreknew, He predestined, He called, He justified, and He glorified. Last week, as we looked at Romans 8.28, we saw that believers are called, and what's the last phrase of the verse? Let's say it together. According to His purpose. What is God's purpose that He has called us to? Well, verses 39, or 29 and 30 tell us it is God's wonderful golden chain of redemption. And so I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to look at all five links in this wonderful chain that reveals God's sovereign purpose for every child of God. Look at what verses 29 and 30 say in Romans 8. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified... He also glorified. Let's pray for just a moment. Lord, today I pray that you would help me. Because we are going very deep today. And I pray that you would clarify my thinking and the ability of everyone here to think the thoughts of God after you as they are revealed in your word. And I pray, Lord, that even though there are things like this beyond our ability to fully fathom, that because they are taught in the Word of God, they are for our good, they are for our blessing, our encouragement, and our comfort. And so we're thankful that we can affirm them and know your wonderful plan. So guide us now as we learn together. In Jesus' name, amen. This very first link in this chain of God's plan is that God specially chose believers. Verse 29 says about His purpose, for those whom He foreknew. Now what this is telling us is that salvation of every Christian starts with God's foreknowledge of us. 
And the word foreknowledge in and of itself is quite simple to understand. For means beforehand, and then plus the word knowledge. The beforehand is a reference to creation before anything existed, so that God is saying to us here, He knew believers before anything else existed, including us. Now, many of us would say, well, then I understand what this means. God knew ahead of time who would believe, and therefore He knew who would choose Him, and then He chose them. But that is not exactly what is conveyed by the word for knowledge here. The word for knowing is a very common word in the Old Testament used many, many times. And it refers to a personal, intimate knowledge. It is not really a mental knowledge, but it is an intimate relationship that is being described. Ellen and I were talking about this word the other day in the Old Testament, and we said that when we were children and we read the statement that Adam knew his wife Eve, we did not know what that meant. And even more strange to us was after Adam knew Eve, a baby was born. And we wondered, how in the world can that happen? Of course, later on, as we became older and learned more, we understood that the word new refers to an intimate personal knowledge that husbands and wives have in marriage. Now, when that word then, foreknowledge, is used of God, what it means then is His prior decision to set His love upon His own children and claim them as His own. Let me show you a few places in the Old Testament where this is clearly the meaning of the word. Genesis 18.19 says about Abraham, "...for I have chosen him." that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing justice and righteousness, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. And the word there for chosen in the original language is the word known, for I have known Abraham. If you have the English Standard Version, you can look in the margin of your Bible and see that is the literal word. Now clearly this verse is telling us God did more than just know about Abraham. God chose him for a special, personal, intimate relationship. And so the translators are exactly correct that the word known, setting one's intimate love on someone, carries the idea of a choice that God made. Here's another verse that says the very same thing. In Jeremiah 1.5, here's what the Lord says to the prophet. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now clearly God is saying more here than that he simply knew Jeremiah was going to be a prophet. He consecrated him. He appointed him. And you'll notice what is said here is exactly parallel to our word for new, because he says, I knew you before I formed you in the womb. I foreknew you, Jeremiah. 
And then notice that to foreknow includes to consecrate, to appoint, to a special personal relationship that he would have as a prophet of God. Now what are we learning then? Our salvation began not with our choice of God, but it began with His choice of us. And somebody might say this morning, well, pastor, isn't salvation my choice? Well, it includes my choice. I heard the gospel. I decided to respond. I committed my life to Christ. All of that is true. But what the Bible is teaching us here is my decision was brought about in eternity past by God's decision. Now, the best explanation that I know of uh, this uh, mystery is to look at salvation like a door. Uh, You know that uh, Jesus used this metaphor. He said, I'm the door. If anyone enters in through me, that person will be saved. And so, this is our experience. We come to the door of salvation, and what do we see? We see this uh, offer, don't we? Whosoever will, let him come. And we say, I want to go through that door. I want to be saved. I, I want my sins forgiven. I want to be a member of the family of God. And so we respond in faith and we walk through the door and we think the decision was solely ours. But what happens? We get in on the inside. And we begin to study our Bibles. We begin to learn more about our Christian faith. And as we learn more, what does the Lord teach us? John fifteen sixteen. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And all of a sudden we realize there was a prior decision to our decision And that prior decision by God is what brought my decision about. Now I want to say to you, brothers and sisters, this morning, I cannot fully explain to you God's choice of believers. If we are saved, it is because God has chosen us. If we are lost, it is because we have rejected God. I cannot harmonize both of those truths, but both are taught in Scripture. Uh, Pastor Warren Wiersbe has said this, try to explain election and you may lose your mind, but explain it away and you will lose your soul. And I think that is correct. And so God's plan began with His special choice of believers. Let's notice the second link in this golden chain. God determined His goal for believers. Verse 29 says, Whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He, the Lord Jesus, might be the firstborn amongst many brothers. Now, predestination refers to God's goal for His chosen one. And again, the word itself is not hard for us to understand. Pre means beforehand, plus destiny or destination. 
So it means to determine someone's destiny beforehand, before the universe was created, or before we ever existed. What's interesting is the Greek word for predestined is the word praorizo. And it has within it the word for horizon. You can hear that. Pra or rizzo. You can hear how the word horizon comes from that second part of the word or rizzo. Now, if I were to ask you this morning, as you look at this very uh, lovely sunset, uh, where's the horizon? And you would tell me immediately. The horizon is that line that marks off the sky from the water below. The horizon is the boundary beyond which you cannot see, but you know there is more that is beyond that boundary. The horizon line is that line that marks out the boundary of what we can see from what we cannot see. Beyond the horizon is one category. Within the horizon is a different category. But Pastor Lloyd-Jones, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a well-known pastor for many, many years in London, said this, God takes His chosen ones from the far-off category into the category of His eternal purpose. Said Pastor Lloyd-Jones, He has marked out a particular destiny, a particular boundary for those He has foreknown. Now if we ask, well, what is that destiny? What is that boundary? What is that category? Well, the goal is that believers will be made like the Lord Jesus Christ. When it says here that we are to be conformed to the image of His Son, the word conform means to have the same form as another. It's referring to an inward and outward likeness to Christ in His glory. So that one day when the Lord Jesus comes and takes us to Himself, inwardly we will be perfect in character like He is when He takes us to heaven and outwardly, we will have a supernatural body like Christ's resurrection body. You see, God's purpose is so that Christ might be the firstborn amongst many brothers. God's goal is that Christ will be the head of a company of people made like Himself. Now sometimes if we're not careful... We can think that God's plan of salvation was an afterthought. We can think that God made perfect people in a perfect garden. And they sinned and then messed it all up. And so God then decided, based upon this mess that people had made, is I will remedy the situation and I will plan salvation. But that's not what we're learning here. What we're learning here is God's plan of redemption and salvation existed before He ever created. And from the very beginning, He planned to save some out of this world, and through Jesus Christ, He would restore them to the very image Adam had lost in the fall. 
And it is very, very clear here that not everyone is foreknown, not everyone is predestined, and so this is God's eternal plan for those who would be His own. Now let's look at the third link in this chain. The third link is God effectively calls believers. Notice how verse 30 says, Whom He predestined, He also called. Now let's just stop here for just a quick moment. The next three links fulfill God's plan described by foreknowledge and predestination. You see, in the first two links, we are in eternity past, before anything existed. But now in these next three links, God puts His eternal plan into action in each believer's life. It is sort of like uh, the football coach's game plan for the game. He has a game plan that he goes over with his players And they all know what they're going to do. We're either going to run the ball a lot, or we're going to pass the ball a lot. We're going to play zone defense, or man-to-man defense. This is the plan. And then when the game begins, the plan is put into action. And that's what God does with these next three links. And notice the first one. God effectively calls believers. Now, why do we call this God's effective call? Because there are two kinds of calling in the Bible. One kind of calling is general, external, or common. Jesus referred to this calling when He said, Come unto Me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew 11.28 That's the general call of God that goes out to everyone. It is the invitation that goes to everyone who hears the Gospel. But here's the problem. Because people are dead in trespasses and sins, they reject that call. Jesus said this in John 5.40. He said, You refuse to come to Me that you might have life. That general call is rejected by people dead in trespasses and sins. And so in addition to the general call, God has a specific call. And this call is specific, internal, and it is effective. And Jesus often referred to it. Look at what He said in John 6.44. He said, No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And notice this drawing is an effective drawing, isn't it? Because Jesus said, everyone that is drawn by the Father, He will raise up on the last day. What is He describing here? Well, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. As He invites, convinces, and enables hearts to respond, this call is effective and persuasively brings God's chosen to faith. 
I want you to notice how earlier in this chapter, Jesus said a very similar thing. He said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. So notice what Jesus is saying. In God's eternal plan, we are a love gift of the Father to the Son. And everyone the Father has given to the Son does come to the Son. It is an effective call. And He says, I will certainly not cast them out. I distinguish these two calls of the Lord by remembering a childhood experience. When I was a boy, we often played outside until it was dark. And at supper time, uh, our parents would come out of their home and they would call us in from the neighborhood for dinner. Uh, My neighbor boy, Mike, his dad would call him by whistling. And we'd be out playing, and all of a sudden we'd hear this, you can see I can't do it very well. And Mike would say, oh, that's my dad, he's calling me, it's time for dinner. And he would go. Now, I never responded to that whistle. Not once. I suppose I could have responded. I could have said, well, Mike, I'm, I'm going with you, your dad is calling. But I never did. And then my parents would come and they would call me. Only it wasn't a whistle. They called me by name. As I think about it, I can almost still hear my dad. Brian. 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 I always responded to that call. It was persuasive, especially if I knew what was good for me. I always came. Now, brothers and sisters, the call from my parents is like God's special call. It goes out to all the world through preaching and witnessing, but it is individual. It is personal. We could say it is by name. It is accompanied by the persuasive power of the Holy Spirit. And it is always responded to positively. Perhaps the best illustration of what Paul is teaching us here is Paul himself. We all know the story on the Damascus Road, how he was persecuting the church and hated the name of Christ. And then as he was traveling, a bright light appeared, and Jesus spoke to him, and Paul recognized that it was Jesus, and he was converted right on the spot, one of the most amazing conversions in all of Scripture. But then you know what Paul does in Galatians 1? He takes us behind the scenes. And look what he says was happening before that experience on the Damascus Road ever brought him to faith. Look at these words. But when God, 
who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by His grace was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him amongst the Gentiles. There is everything that Paul has just been teaching. God knew him clearly before he was formed in his mother's womb. God set him apart. He consecrated him. And then on the Damascus road, He called him by His grace. And it was an effective, persuasive call because He says, God then by His own good pleasure revealed His Son in me. Here are everything that Paul has just been teaching us. God's special choice of Him. God's planning of His destiny. And God's effectively calling Him. It is the same eternal plan Paul is revealing here. Now let's look at the last two links this morning. Links number four and five. Number four, God gives righteousness to believers. And number five, God completes believers in heaven. Look at verse 30. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Now it should not surprise us that justification comes after calling. Justification is God's decision to grant a right standing in response to faith. And so it makes total sense to us that this would be the next thing in the chain. You know what does surprise us? Verse 30 says, we are already glorified. Now I look out at a congregation this morning, and you look back at me, do I look glorified? And you say no. Do you look glorified? And I agree as well, no. But did you notice this? Glorified is in the past tense. Whom He justified, He glorified. Look at it. Everyone who is justified is also glorified. Do you know what this is here, brothers and sisters? This is a rare use of a future past tense. It is a prophetic past tense. It is an event that is yet to come in the future, but it is so certain that it is described by a past tense. Now let me ask you this, how can something future be declared to have already happened? It is so certain that it is good as done. The Bible says, whatever God begins, He also finishes. In fact, there is a verse that says this, Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you, 
shall carry it on to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. What God begins, He finishes. And you'll notice every one of these five actions is an action that God Himself performs, and He performs it upon everyone in the group, so that everyone who is foreknown in that same group, they are predestined, in that same group they are called, in that same group they are justified, in that same group they are glorified. Whatever God begins, He finishes. We can know for sure we are going to heaven, because with God... It is as good as done. Now look again at how we began. As we began, we said that there are five links in this golden chain. And you'll notice the golden chain has no breaks in it. From eternity past with foreknowledge and predestination to the moment our salvation took place with calling and justified to the future when Jesus calls us to be with Himself and we are glorified. There is no break in the linkage because whatever God begins, He finishes. There was a boy that I read about who didn't have much athletic ability. And so every time the kids would get together to play a game and choose teams, guess where he was chosen? Last. Don't raise your hand if that's you, all right? Always chosen last. Well, then one day there were two new boys who joined the game, and because these boys were older they became the captains. And they were allowed to choose first. And the first captain chose the boy who had always been chosen last. You know why? He was his older brother. And he loved him. And he chose him not because of any abilities or merit in him. He chose him simply because he set his love upon him. And brothers and sisters, this is a great mystery. But so it is with God. He chose us not because of our abilities or our merit or anything that He saw in us, but because He was pleased to set His love upon us. And it is our participation in that wonderful plan as hard as it is for us to wrap our minds around it that makes us the apple of His eye. And today, 
if you would say to me, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm a part of that plan. Here's what I would say to you. Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let him who is thirsty come and drink of the waters of life. Jesus said, I am the door by me. If any man or woman will come in, he shall be saved and go in and out and find pasture. And the invitation to you is come. And if you come, Jesus says, I will not cast you out. And you will find yourself by the act of repentance and faith in a wonderful plan that you will never be able to fully fathom until Jesus calls you home. Let's bow together, shall we, in prayer. Just before I lead us in prayer, if you're here today and you have not responded to the call of Christ, it comes to you now. And if you feel a stirring in your heart, if you feel a sense that I'm lost, I'm undone, my Sins burden me. And I don't have peace until I know that I'm a child of God, that I'm a member of His family. Would you respond to that calling now? Turn to the Savior and tell Him you know that you're a sinner, that you're lost, that you have no hope in and of yourself. But you believe that He died for you, He came as the God-man, and He's paid for your sins and risen again that you might have life. And telling that you're repenting, you're turning from your own way, and you're turning in faith to Him. Ask Him by faith to come into your heart and be your Savior, into your life and be your Lord. Ask Him to forgive you, to make you a child of God, to give you life from above. And then resting upon the offer of His salvation, say to Him, Lord Jesus, You have done so much for me. I will now follow you with all of my heart. I will now grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you that the Spirit of God is here today. 
Thank you that he is capable of opening blind eyes. And he can soften hearts of stone and turn them into hearts of flesh. And I pray today that he would do that very work as the eternal gospel has been preached and proclaimed and offered. And bring men, women, and boys and girls to the saving knowledge of him whom to know is life eternal. And Father, may we rejoice as your children in what you have done for us. As we plumb the depths of it, it is beyond our ability fully to fathom. Yet we believe what is revealed. And we know it's true. And we find our deepest joy and satisfaction in what you have done for us. And we know that we love you always and ever because you first loved us. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.